0: May be seated, and as you're seated, I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 33. We found ourselves processing through the Book of Exodus. We have found ourselves this past week with VBS, and let me assure you, the leadership of Brienne and her team was just phenomenal of bringing VBS together and all and everything that we saw. But just the excitement of what transpired there, we took the kids also right through the Book of Exodus. And we started them there with the whole idea that they were God's people, found themselves in Egypt. And just like we've learned ourselves, they came out of Egypt. As they came out of Egypt, they found themselves going through the Red Sea. After they got through the Red Sea, they found themselves in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they found God providing for them on a regular basis. He provided water for them. He provided meat for them. He took care of them, brought them all the way to Mount Sinai. And then they got to Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai, God all of a sudden had Moses come up on top of Mount Sinai, and He was given the Ten Commandments. Spent time with him to tell him what the law was going to be. And while Moses was up there, you may recall the congregation was down here, and they decided to have some parties and live life out. And all of a sudden, they also transitioned to where all of a sudden they took their eyes off of Yahweh and to decide that somehow they wanted an idol built. And Aaron, after he collected all the gold, somehow molded and shaped for them a golden calf. And the children of Israel actually found themselves worshipping a golden calf. as that's taking place, Moses is up in the mountain. And God knows what's going on and he sends him down to his people. When Moses comes down and he sees what's going on, he tosses those tablets on the ground and they break apart. And judgment now comes upon the children of Israel. There were some of those who did not follow or believe in Yahweh. And they were actually killed at that point. About 3,000. But the rest of them were also disciplined for their activity and what had taken place. And when that all occurred, God chose for himself to decide, are these his people that he wants to continue with? Or does he want to start all over with just Moses? And Moses said, no, you need to keep these people. These are your people. It'll prove to the Egyptians that you're the God who took care of them. You just didn't bring them out here to kill them. And so as Moses is talking with God, they're now working through this process of what's going to happen next. And God's preparing to send them onto the journey. And Moses is pleading with God that you maintain your presence with us. And God agrees he will go with his presence with them. But something's a little different now. While the Israelites gather over here in the regular camp meeting... Moses finds himself outside the camp with a tent to meet with God. And while he's meeting with God, as God's plan to send them on the rest of the journey, Moses makes a request of God before they take off on this journey from Mount Sinai. And that's where the narrative picks up in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 17. And here's what we read. We may read. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, O Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And so Moses makes his request. That request is that he can see God's glory. He's been in the presence of God before. He understands the presence. There's been the pillar. There's been the cloud. But he wants to see something different. He wants to see the glory of God. It continues. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. The Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away. You shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So it's understanding this glory. We talk about the glory of God, the word that's used called Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory identifies that God is not just present, but he's actually living there. He's dwelling there. It deals with the idea of more understanding it's the residence of God. That when that glory shows up, it means God is there right now in presence and residing in that place. And Moses wants to see God face to face. He wants to know God is right here. You know how it is you have a sense of somebody's presence, but they're not really present. So for example, when you think of the presence of a teacher, you go to a classroom and the teacher's in the classroom. Teacher tells the students what to do and the students do what they're told. But when the teacher leaves the classroom, though they are present in the building, kids have a sense to understand they're not really present, even though they're present. And all of a sudden activity changes. Even though they're present. It changes because they don't know they're present. Where they are. This is the Shekinah glory. God's been present with the Israelites. But Moses wants God present. Residing. Right in front of him. That he can see him in all his glory. That's his request. And God says here's what I'll do for you Moses. I'll take you on the mountain. I'll prepare for you to see me. It will not be face to face. But my Shekinah glory will glow in such a way that you will be able to see my glory. I'll cover you some, but you will be able to see me and know I resided, I was present, my Shekinah glory was there, and you will see me as 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 much as you can. That's his request. God promises he will do that. So the next thing that's gonna happen is Moses is gonna go up on the mountain, Moses is going to meet with God. But as he meets with God, though, the purpose of that meeting is not just the glory, but the renewal of that covenant. And that's what we have starting in chapter 34, verses 1 to 9. And here's what we read. Now the Lord said to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So be ready by morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. And no man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of the mountain. This differs from last time. Last time when he did this, he had other people that went up on the mountain. He's all alone this time on the mountain. He continues. So cut out two tablets stone tablets like the former ones. Moses rose early in the morning, went up to the mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him, and he took the two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord, that is Yahweh, passed in front of him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, that he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children, on grandchildren of the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. Aren't those great words of the character of God? Don't you just want to pause and sort of soak them in? That God is gracious. God's compassionate. God's long-suffering. God will forgive sin. And Moses hears those words. As the God of the Old Testament, as his God, who is Yahweh, over the children of Israel. This is the God that they're renewing this covenant with. They continue. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and do you part, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your own possession. So his request, okay, Lord, if this is who you are, go with us in the future, be present with us through the wilderness, take us to the promised land, just as you promised now, in the renewing of the covenant what's going to happen in the next verses is God's going to go through with Moses that re- recalling the Sabbath rest they're supposed to do. Firstborns are supposed to sacrifice. Variety of things they're supposed to do. Not everything he's already said before, but a quick summary of some of the law. After he goes through that summary of the law, there's a renewal that takes place in very few verses down in verses uh, 30, or 27 and 28. Here's the conclusion to that re- renewal. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote the tablets, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So now he writes the words down. The Renewal is going to take place with the children of Israel. So Moses made this request. Lord, I want to see your glory. Now there's been no mention of glory at all in this passage yet. Nothing's been said about Moses and what's happened there. Except we know that he passed in front of him. After the passing, the Lord all of a sudden gives him a recollection and a summary of what the law was. And he says, here's a renewal for the children of Israel. If I'm going to be their people, if I'm going to follow in their presence, if I'll be there till the future, here's what they must do. And he renews the covenant with them. And he gets done. Now, Moses has the covenant. He's got the two tablets. He's getting ready to go down the mountain. As he, go down, as he goes down the mountain, now we're going to see what transpired while he was on the mountain. Verse 30, 29 begins the glory. And it came about when Moses was coming down the mountain, Mount Sinai. And the two tablets and the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain. That Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So it's saying this. As Moses is coming down, he's been exposed to this glory. And apparently this glory is this bright, shining glory that we would understand it to be. It indicates the presence of God. That God's residing on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he doesn't realize that when he was with Yahweh, that glory was impacting his skin. As he was spending time with Yahweh, his skin was getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And the glory of the Lord was now reflecting off of his face as he spent 40 days and 40 nights with Yahweh. And something has changed that he doesn't even know has happened. That the glory of God is now impacting him and how he looks. And as he continues down the mountain, we read, So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. So put yourself in their shoes. Moses goes up on the mountain. They see Moses as he normally is. He now comes down and he's got this bright, shining face. And somehow he's reflecting the glory of God. And this man who went up there is not the man who comes down. And they do not rush to him thinking this is a wonderful thing. They actually start backing away and do not come near him. They're getting away from him because they are afraid of what they see. Because they do not know what has happened. So Moses explains and continues with them. Verse 31. Then Moses called to them. And Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses spoke to them, and seemed to have quieted their hearts, and afterward all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. So he reviews everything that's been said, all the covenant renewal, all of it's gonna take place. He goes over that with them. When Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So now he covers his face. Why? Because they're afraid of him. They're unsure what's going on, so he just covers it. So that they're aware it's okay. We can be near Moses and things will be okay. 34. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel... What he had been commanded. The sons of Israel would see the face of Moses. That the, skin, the mo- skin of Moses face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face. Until he went to speak with him. So we have this ongoing activity. Moses. The children of Israel in the camp. Moses has his temp- tent of meeting. Somehow in this time period. They are going to travel and do things. Moses still meets in the tent of meeting. When he meets there, the Lord meets him again. So he takes off the veil, gets exposed to the glory of God, and it once again reflects on who he is. And as it does that, it all of a sudden in a sense recharges him with the glory of God. And then he covers his face when he's with the people because of the sense it creates fear in them and uncertainty. And it's not said, but we find out later what's happening is When he leaves the glory of God, it starts fading away. And when he comes face to face with God again, it starts shining again as it reflects the glory of God. Now this glory of God is talked about here. But we need to see how it unfolds in the rest of the Bible. Moses had a face to face encounter with God. It indicated that God was residing on the Mount Sinai with Moses for 40 days and 40 nights. But the next time we come across the glory of God is in Exodus chapter 40. Now Moses has already been instructed what to do. They're going to build a tabernacle for God. The tabernacle is designed with altars and different places for sacrifices to take place. But there's also one important part of it. In the tabernacle will be a, a place, a tent meeting... Where there's a holy place and a holy of holies. Now in the holy place there's sacrifices made. But there's another special place inside called the holy of holies. In the holy of holies will be the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a box. Has two cherubims where the wings will touch in the middle. And the high priest will go in and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And that will happen on an annual basis. But the other thing that's unusual that will happen is the glory of the Lord is going to come in and reside right there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So when we get to Exodus chapter 40, Moses is given all the instruction on how to build the tabernacle. They do all the work and get everything all done. As soon as it gets completed and the Ark of the Covenant is put in place, it identifies the glory of the Lord comes in and woof fills. The Holy of Holies, and the glory of the Lord resides there and is there on a daily basis, saying that God is residing with the nation of Israel. The Shekinah glory is there. And when they travel, that glory moves with them everywhere they go. So, about 400 years later, Solomon's going to build a temple. When Solomon builds that temple, he builds it in the same way that the tabernacle is built, but a lot larger. And in one location. The tabernacle journeys wherever the children of Israel go. The tabernacle, the temple rather, is built in Jerusalem. When he builds it, he builds it in the same way. There's the Holy of Holies. And then you have the, I'm sorry, there's a holy place. And then there's the Holy of Holies. They move the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. And all of a sudden what it identifies in 1 Kings 8 is the glory of the Lord now fills the temple, with the glory of the Lord. And God is present in the nation of Israel. The glory of the Lord resides there until Ezekiel chapter 10. In Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel's right in the nation of Israel who's in captivity. He wants them to understand what's really happened to the nation. And he starts talking to the children of Israel what took place. And he identifies that the glory of the Lord was here in the temple. And all of a sudden it rose up from the cherubim. And it stood over the edge of the court of the temple. And after it resided there for a little bit. It moved out to the corner to the walls of the city. And after it resided there for a while. It moved out from there to the east mount To the Mount of Olives. And it stood there. And then it just disappeared. Because the glory of the Lord did not go with the children of Israel. Into the Babylonian captivity. It departed from Israel. In 586 B.C. The nation comes back 70 years later. They come back and rebuild a temple. The temple is all rebuilt. And do do you know what they do not have when they come back? The Ark of the Covenant. And you know what else it doesn't come back? Is the glory of the Lord. It does not return. So the glory of the Lord has gone. Leaves in 586 B.C. The next time we hear the glory of the Lord, Luke chapter 2, and the shepherds were in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone round about. That is not light from angels. The glory of the Lord means what? God is present again on the earth and residing on the earth on the birth of Jesus Christ turn to John 1:14 here's how John describes the same incident of what takes place when Jesus Christ came to the earth John chapter 1 and verse 14 and the word that's a reference to Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt, lived among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we've got the glory residing on the earth in Jesus Christ. And it's understanding this glory that Moses saw, that he had face-to-face contact with, that traveled with the nation of Israel, that departed at the captivity in 586 B.C. It comes back in the person of Jesus Christ who brings the glory of God, the residential deity of the earth, back to earth. And the life of Christ brings the presence and the glory of God together in one person. Now it's interesting. Paul takes this whole story of our passage of Exodus 33 and 34. The birth of Jesus Christ out of Luke 2. Merges it together and says, let me explain to you. What has transpired with the glory of God. And he exposits it for us. To understand the difference between these two glories. So turn to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting at verse 8. Now Paul's going to make a comparison. Of the two. He's going to talk about the Old Testament and the glory that Moses saw versus the New Testament, the glory that we see. Moses' fading glory, Christ's transforming glory. Here's how it begins, starting at verse seven. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to even more with more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, that's Moses, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound to glory, that's Christ. For indeed what had glory... In this case has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. For that which fades away with glory, Moses, much more shall that which remains in glory. That's Christ. Having therefore such hope, a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. So he identifies that veiling of Moses was also a veiling of the hearts of the children of Israel. Hard hearts that couldn't see the glory of God. Because of hard hearts which is going to be revealed through Jesus Christ. He continues. But to this day, verse 15, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a man comes to, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So we're born with this veil in our hearts. Like, there's a veil on the hearts of people. And when read through the Old Testament, the veil is there. But when somebody comes to Jesus Christ, the veil is lifted up. And we see the glory, we see God, we see Christ, who they really are. And we see ourselves in Christ. He continues for us to understand this glory and the power of it. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So in Moses' day, he veiled it and nobody was changed in any way. But for us... When the veil is lifted and we come to Christ, we are being transformed into the glory of Christ on a daily basis and becoming like Him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that word transforms an important word. It's a word that you all know very well, and, and actually you know Greek. You don't know, you know Greek. Now it's translated as "transformed." You're like, well, I was you ready for the word? Now, you know it very well. It's metamorphosis. You're like, oh, I get it. I recently had a friend who was posting on Facebook. Um, She posted on Facebook this caterpillar crawling around this cage. And we all love caterpillars, don't we? They're just these ugly little things with all these legs and all. It's just crawling around, crawling around, crawling around, crawling around. And then all of a sudden it stopped one day. And you could watch it doing all this stuff and all that's going into this chrysalis and this cocoon or something. And there it sits for a couple days. And it sits And then all of a sudden, you're watching, and one day it's, it's starting to sort of break through. And it's like, what is going on here? And it actually breaks through. And all of a sudden, you know what happens? It, it's no longer a cat, it's this butterfly that comes out, this beautiful butterfly that comes out and is released. And it's like, what is going on here? And we all know it as metamorphosis. That's the word. It's saying, listen, the gospel is such an event in our lives that when you come to Christ, there's this transformation of making you from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's going to metamorphosize you to become, not like you were, but like Jesus Christ and who he is. This transformation we read about in the New Testament. So for example, when you come to the gospels in Matthew and Mark, they record the event when Jesus goes up on Mount Olives... And while he's there, he is transfigured. He is transformed. And when you read that passage, all of a sudden his glory is revealed. You may recall who's standing on the mountain with him. Moses and Elijah. And there's this bright light and all going. And the disciples want to build uh, tabernacles and altars there to worship. is like, like, no, this is what's going on. Some of them got to see the glory, the real glory of Christ at that point. And it's used that way. That's the Transfiguration. It's also used in Romans 12, when all of a sudden it talks about us being transformed. It's interesting how it says it. By the renewing of our minds, we're transformed. Folks, we need to understand the power of the gospel, the Old Testament law. Glory, glory is veiled. New Testament comes along with says through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That veil is removed. That glory is exposed. That glory comes to us and starts transforming our lives and our hearts and our minds. And we're not the people we used to be because the glory is transforming us to be like Christ. And as wonderful as that truth is, and as much as we know we need it, we, that's the wrong question if we need it. The question is, do you really want do you want to be transformed by the glory of Christ? Do you really want to be transformed? It's not just something that happens passively. To be transformed requires engagement on your part. And To be transformed means change. To be transformed means we cannot be satisfied by who we are, because we know who we need to become. We cannot be proud to think we are OK, and be humbled to know who we have to be. And all of a sudden to be transformed is saying, "I need and want to change." Why? Because the way it takes place is not in a simple and easy fashion. How did Moses get transformed? How did he get reflecting the glory? What did he do? He spent 40 days and 40 nights with Yahweh on a mountain. That means it's going to take time to be transformed. It doesn't happen instantly. And are you willing to give the time necessary for you to be transformed, transformed by the glory of Christ to become like Christ? Oh, what did Moses do? He communed with God. They had a relationship together. Have you sat down to consider the time you spend in your communion with Christ? Are you willing to give the time to even do that? Do you even have time that you give to Christ? That communion that's necessary to bring that transformation that you really want. Are you willing to pray? I mean Moses there 40 days and 49. He was talking to God. He made requests of God. There's prayer that takes place in that transformation. and Not just whatever comes into your mind. It seems like prayer. Prayer needs time and attention. Thoughtfulness of what to pray about. What is the content of the prayer that I put down before the Lord? Is it just things I want? Or is it a real transformation in the lives of other people that I'm requesting? What are the prayers I have for other people? How do I pray for missionaries who are in need? What about the persecuted church? What about my brothers and sisters here who are going through trials and difficulties? Do I really have content to my prayers Or are they just simple prayers like rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God? What are our prayers, folks? I mean, just the time, the time in order to be transformed is prayer, but it's the Word of God. That whole time he was on the mountain, what was happening? God was talking to Moses. The Word was coming to him. He was writing things down 40 days and 40 nights in the Word of God. And what's our time in the Word? What's your plan in the Word? If you want to be transformed, somehow God has to speak to our hearts and minds. He's going to transform my mind. I have content to come in to teach me how to think differently about what's going on in my life and the world around me. The things that God must do. But is there the humility that's necessary to be transformed? Moses came down the mountain his face brightly shining and he has no idea what he looks like he doesn't realize what God had done in his life and if we're going to watch transformation takes place we cannot be boasting about what we've seen him doing it's more the sense of others seeing it in us Observing it out of us. That the transformation is taking place. And they're aware. That we're not the person we used to be. That something's changed of how we talk. Or how we think. Or how we behave. There's something different about us. And they observe it. And of our humility. We're informed of it. But one of the most difficult ones. One of the most difficult ones. For God to transform us. Is through suffering and trial. I don't know anybody who sits around and wants life to be difficult. Anybody who sits around and prays give me trials, trials, trials. I have some friends who've prayed that for me. (laughs) But I've never prayed that for myself. But don't we strive to avoid trials? Don't we strive to avoid suffering? Don't we strive to avoid all those things? Yet Moses is finishing up with God, knowing he's got another 40 years ahead of him, with an obstinate, stiff-necked people that he requested God send him on a journey with. Because God said he'd wipe them all out and start all over and say, no, 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 they're your people. You need to keep them. Whew, I'll lead them. And he willingly, willingly found himself suffering through trial with the people that God gave him. Turn to James chapter 1 with me. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. I mean, this is a hard one for us. I mean, everybody in this room is going through some kind of trial now. There's something that's on your plate that you're aware. It's like, you know, Lord, you just wish it was removed. Uh, Sometimes it's something short. I mean, it could have been an appliance. I mean, your washing machine, it could have gone down last night. The brakes out on your car. I mean, that's a short one, unless you can't afford it. And then it's a financial one. Some of you are going through some things in your home life that's like, you didn't ask for this. It's just happening. And just some tensions and frustrations and some disappointments in home. There's some relationships you have that are just tough. And somehow, that just the tension in them that you're trying to resolve and all that, and God's working there. Some of you are going through some health issues and we'd love to tell you it'll be over tomorrow or the next day but uh, folks we all know this there's some health issues that seem they just never they just they, they just never seem to end and somehow you've been called to suffer and suffer and suffer uh, some of you are dealing with job situations some of you have lost your job some of you are just struggling financially I don't know what you're struggling. we're all going through them and the thing is we don't want them. And yet we, we need to understand that if we're going to be transformed, if we're going to be transformed in like Christ, somehow God uses the trials and our suffering to m- mold us and shape us that we somehow look like Christ. Here's how James describes it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results that you're complete and lacking in nothing. <laughs> what does trials do? It tests your faith. And it calls you to endure. To have the perfect result. You know, that, that perfect result, that com- word complete, means mature. It means to be like Christ. God has a plan for your trial to make you like Christ. Unfortunately, to get there, we have to endure to get there. And then to make matters worse, James says, consider it all joy. Right. But you know the difference between joy and happiness. There's joy because you know God is at work in our lives. Empowered by the Spirit with the promises of his word to transform us. To be like Christ. And that's what he's doing in each of our lives. When we come to Christ. That veil is lifted. That transformation starts taking place. And he wants to make us like Christ. Our question is. Do we want. Do we want to be transformed. And if so. How. Is that going to take place. Because Moses had the fading. Glory of God. We have the transforming glory of Christ. And we get to be transformed. Not by fading glory. By eternal, living glory of Jesus Christ. And in that transformation, we become like Christ. You know, we're here this morning too, and you may be listening, and the whole idea is a greater need. Maybe you may be like the Israelites And that veil is still covering your eyes. And you need it lifted to trust in Christ as your savior. The recognition like you know you're broken. Life is not right and good. You understand that you just don't have things in order. Of how you talk, how you think, what you do. You know there's a need to change. But to make that change, you've got to come to Christ. And to come to Christ is the recognition that you're a sinner. But that Christ died on the cross for your sins. And with that death on the cross, it paid the penalty for all your sins. And when he was buried, he was raised on the third day, demonstrating he was God. And God in heaven accepted that sacrifice. And he said, whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And that lifts the veil. That work begins. And all of a sudden you'll be conformed to the image of Christ. And I'm inviting you to do that today. And for the rest of us. Well we have a lot of choices to make. Of how to be conformed. To the wonderful image of Christ. In so many ways. But our willingness to give the time. To be transformed. Because Moses. Had the fading glory of God we have the transforming glory of Christ now as a church we practice communion on a weekly basis and as we do that we always prepare ourselves for that worship that celebration of what Christ did for us on the cross we do that by taking a moment of silence that silence is a variety of things to do that silence can be used today for you to trust in Christ as your personal saying. This is the day that I want to come to know Christ as my Savior. You can do that during that silence. But it can also be a time we reflect on your life and say, you know what? There's some things that are really out of sync. And I need to confess that sin, that stuff to God. And I need to correct that to move forward in my walk with Christ. Or you can be one sitting there that God's been faithful to you. He's brought you through trials and circumstances. And this is a day that you find yourself just wanting to give him thanks for the salvation you have, for the conforming, transforming glory of Christ in your life. And you just give him thanks for that. And each of us responds differently during that time of silence. But we will do that. We're going to go to a time of silence in preparation. And when we take communion here, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake. You don't have to be a member of our church; just know Christ is your personal Savior. If you are not a believer, we ask you not to partake, because you are saying by taking it, you are going to proclaim that Christ is coming again and that you believe in Him. And if you are a child at home and all, that's one of talking over with your folks. And if your folks say it's okay, we're okay with you taking it as well, as far as as long as your folks agree. This thing that you understand and you can participate. So we all take a time of silence, and then uh, we'll talk about our partaking together. Let's go to prayer.